We're in this series that we're calling Habits That Can Change Your Life. And last week we began by talking about serving and we said when we serve, it it breaks the power, the grip of self-centeredness in our lives. But not only that, Jesus said, I've set an example for you and as I've set the example for you, you go out of here and you serve one another. And we learned that when we serve one another the way Jesus instructed us, Jesus says, that's when you become great in my estimation. And we talked about what that means to be great in Jesus' eyes. This week we're going to shift gears a little bit and we're going to talk about the habit of generosity. Because this is the habit that if we can develop in our lives, it breaks the power of greed. In fact, the only thing I know that will break the power of greed in our life is generosity. And I'm not sure why generosity is such a hard habit to develop because we all know that when we're generous, it's not the recipient of our generosity that's often impacted the most. We know that we're the ones that are impacted. Every one of us, if we've ever been generous, we know of the joy, we know that sense of fulfillment when we give away of our possessions, when we're generous. So I'm not sure what the problem is. My guess is this, it's all of the what ifs, you know? What if I decide to live this life of generosity and I start giving stuff away, but then I don't get the bonus I was counting on? What if I don't get a raise? What if my wife gets pregnant and I wasn't expecting her to get pregnant? What if I lose my job? What if the, what if the stock market crashes and I, use, I lose half of my net worth? What, what if inflation begins to rise and begins to cut into my budget and I don't have that, that nest egg that I thought I was going to count on, right? But understand, when we think that way, what we're basically saying is this, God, I would love to be a generous person, but I'm afraid of the worst case scenario. And God, as much as I would like to live my life, if everything belongs to you and I'm kind of a manager of what you've given me during this life, even though I would love to live my life that way, God, I just can't do it because I'm afraid. I mean, let's be honest, that sounds like us. In fact, it's amazing to me how the circumstances of life can force the issue and show us just how fearful we are. I mean, we have conversations in our mind like this. You know, God, I'm afraid now, but after I pay off my school loans, then I'm going to be a person of generosity. Or God, after we finish building our new home, then we're going to be generous. Or after our kids get out of private school, right? Or after we get our new business off the ground. Or after I finally have enough money for retirement, God, that's when I'm going to become a person of generosity. That's the way we naturally think. But I want us to be honest with ourselves this weekend. Let's just say that you're, you're not generous. Let's just say that you're a person who's holding out on God and, and, and say the bottom does drop out of your financial world. Let's say the stock market does crash and, and you, you lose half of your net worth. Let's say that inflation does rise and it begins to cut into your operating budget. Let's say worst case scenario, you lose your job. This is my guess. If the financial bottom drops out of your life, I'm pretty sure there's one thing that you won't do. I am, I'm sure you won't pray this prayer. Jesus, as you can see, I'm having some financial difficulties. Jesus, as you can see, things aren't working out for me financially right now. I don't know how I'm going to pay the mortgage this month, God. I don't know how I'm going to put food on the table. I don't know how I'm going to maintain our medical insurance, but God, the good news is this. The good news is I don't want your help. Because God, since I've been holding out on you for all these years, it just doesn't seem right for me to ask for your help right now. I guarantee you, you're not going to pray that. In fact, regardless of what you've done with your treasure and your stuff up to this point, you would pray something like this. Jesus, help me. That's what you would pray. 
We get the prayer request all the time, all of a sudden, and it's interesting. I'll go check your giving records. I need a job. I need this. I, all of a sudden, we get really, really spiritual. I mean, we pray things like, God, I believe everything belongs to you and everything comes from you, and I need a little bit to come my way right now, God, you know. I, God, I know you own the cattle on a thousand hills and the, and the silver and the gold in those mines, and I need a little bit of that silver and gold to come my way right now. I mean, when the bottom falls out of our finances, when it hits us in the wallet, it's amazing how quickly we become spiritual. And regardless of how we've treated God in the past, all of a sudden, now, crisis time, we want God involved in our finances. Because all of a sudden, there's a gap. All of a sudden, there's a hole. All of a sudden, there's a shortage. And we're more than happy to allow God to step in and fill the gap. Let me ask you a question. Isn't it just a little hypocritical when we try to build our own financial security by not giving, by not sharing, you know, by, by living lives of greed instead of lives of generosity. But then the bottom drops out of our financial life and we immediately turn to God. I mean, even though we all do it and we do it all the time, isn't there just something, I don't know, wrong with that picture? So what I want us to do this weekend is I want us to look at a pass, passage that shows us how you can get God involved in your finances right now so that you can begin to live a life of generosity right now. This isn't something you have to wait for. This is something you can begin this weekend. And this is really, really important because if we involve God in our finances right now, if we involve God in our finances ahead of time, when and if the bottom does drop out of our lives, we don't really have to worry. Because God has been right there with us. He's been a part of our financial life all along. So if you have your Bible, let's go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. While you're turning there, I'll bring you up to speed. 2 Corinthians is a letter, again, that Paul wrote uh, to a group of Christians at a church in Corinth. And the church at Corinth, it was a booming church. It was a growing church. It was a wealthy church. It was a happening church. It was making an impact in its community. I think it was a lot like Hope Community Church. But on the other side of the known world, there was a little struggling church in Jerusalem. And it was a little bit of a shock that this church was struggling because this is the church where it all began. This is the church where Peter, in Acts chapter 2, walked out into the streets of Jerusalem and preached the message of Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection. And it tells us the Holy Spirit moved and 3,000 people that day became followers of Jesus Christ. And the church of Jesus Christ began right there on the streets in Jerusalem. It's where it all started. But now, years later, the church has fallen on hard times. They are up against it financially. So Paul has been given the assignment of collecting money from people who are probably never, ever going to visit Jerusalem. They probably don't even know anyone in Jerusalem. So he knows that for this to happen, for this a huge amount of money to come in, it is going to take unbelievable generosity. So Paul sits down and he writes this letter to the people in Corinth to encourage them in their generosity. And while he's, while he's writing to them, he explains a principle to them about generosity that's often misunderstood, but he tells us how to guarantee God's involvement in this area of our finances. Let's begin 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. This is what it says. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, if you're from Fuquay, you get that, right? But for those of us like me, city slickers from Apex, you know, we have a hard time you know, comprehending this agricultural verse, but the point is simple. Paul basically says this, if you sow a little bit of seed, you're not going to reap very much. 
But if you sow a lot of seed, you're going to reap a lot. For example, back in biblical times, wheat had a 30-fold return. That means that if you went out and, and you sowed 10 bushels of wheat, you were going to collect 300 bushels of wheat. So God comes along and says in the same way, if you give generously, you are going to be blessed generously. So here's the bottom line. This is what Paul wants us to understand. If you want God involved in your finances, but you're afraid to get, God, get, get, get involved in, in the finances because you're, you're afraid what's going to happen if God gets involved in your finances. In other words, if you're working through all of those what-ifs in your mind, Paul says the smartest thing you can do when you're afraid <laughs> is to begin giving. The smartest thing you can do is to begin sowing because sowing is an invitation for God to get involved in the area of your finances. And once he's involved, you no longer have to be afraid. You see, the thing we need to be afraid of isn't giving. The thing we need to be afraid of isn't being generous. The thing we need to be afraid of is refusing to sow. I mean, let's go back to the farmer. You know, no farmer in his right mind says, man, I got all this seed. It's stored up in my barn. I don't know what to do because if I sow the seed, I won't have it anymore. No farmer in his right mind would make that decision. There's no benefit for the farmer if he just hangs on to his seed. In fact, the best thing a farmer can do is to get into that barn, get his seed, and sow as much seed as possible. Paul wants us to understand in 2 Corinthians 9, this is also true of us. So basically, here's the challenge. This is what we have to think through. How are we going to sow the seed? Or let me put it another way. How generous are we going to be when it comes to God's kingdom? Because Paul wants us to understand God can only bring in a financial harvest that equals the amount of the seed we sow. And that means that if we want God to be deeply entrenched in our finances, we have to get to this point in our spiritual journey as followers of Jesus Christ where we begin to sow generously. And then Paul gives us this incredible insight into how much we're supposed to give because this is always the big question. How much do I need to give if I want, if I want to cross the bar and make God happy? And you can tell right away I didn't write this. Verse 7. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. And you got to love that. I mean, people ask me all the time, how much should I give? Do I tithe? Is it 1%, 10%? Do I give off my gross? Do I give off my net? Paul answers the question for us right here. How much should I give? Whatever you decide. I mean, it says it right here in the Bible. Look at verse 7. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly, not reluctantly. Now, let me tell you what Paul's doing. Paul is setting up a contrast between planned giving and what we'll call impulsive giving. And when it comes to the amount, Paul says we should really think it through and we should plan ahead the amount that we're going to give, the amount that we're going to sow. Now, here's the problem with most, most Christians. Most of us don't have a plan. Typically, it goes like this. You show up at church. And maybe it happens to be a weekend where we're talking about we're going to drill wells in, Central African in the Central African Republic. And that sounds sexy to you, maybe, you know. Or we're going to go to Uganda and we're going to deal with widows and orphans. Or maybe we're going to try to meet a need in our community. And if you have a little something in your wallet you don't really need, you drop it in the box. But let's be honest, most of the time you do it because you feel obligated. I just want you to know something. Uh, when you give that way, you might as well keep it. Because that's not what God's looking for. That's not what pleases God. It certainly doesn't impress God. I mean, it's like somebody giving you a gift because 
they're obligated to give you that gift. That's not the kind of gift you want. We talked about it last week. It's the difference between getting to do something and wanting to do something and having to do something. So here's the application I think Paul wants us to understand. Each one of you, you need to go home and decide, how has God blessed me? How much has God given me? And then in light of that, you have to decide this. How much do I want to give? How much seed do I want to sow? Now, one of, the, one, of, one of the numbers we throw around in church world is a tithe, 10%. And I know a lot of you, you, you've been in church long enough, immediately the red flags goes up and you send me, oh, the tithe, the 10%, that was under the law, they had to. And that's exactly my point. If they had to give 10% under the law, how much more generous out of gratitude should we be under grace? So don't hide behind that. You don't have to give 10%. That's under the law. But you still have to decide. You've got to decide how much am I going to give? What's the right thing for me to do? And it may go something like this. I've run up a lot of debt. You know, when Laura and I got married, we bought a house. We borrowed two mattresses from Laura's parents. We slept on the floor for a year. We, bought, we drove a Vega that I paid $100 for. We had a table and two milk crates that we sat on for like two years. Now, young couples, they get married, they have student loans, they buy a house, they have to put new furniture in it, they have to drive the nicest cars, and they've got all of this debt, and maybe you've made stupid mistakes and that's where you are. You need to get out of that debt, that's dumb debt. In fact, you know, we've had people here through our stewardship program pay off over a million dollars in idiot stupid debt so they could begin to channel their money for more purposeful reasons. So maybe you're in that situation and you think, well, I got to get out of debt. Okay, fine, you need to get out of debt, but that does not excuse you from giving. You still have to think through, what is it that God wants me to give? For some of you, it may be, God, right now, we'll start with 1%, and that's a step of faith. For some of you, it might be 3%. For some of you, you could start 10% immediately. Some of us who've been Christians for a long, we, we passed 10% a long time ago, and we're constantly recalculating and thinking those things. But you got to think those things. you got to decide how much. And then when you decide, you just have to do it, right? And when things are going great financially, you do it. And when things aren't going great financially, you do it. But we're to give based on what we have thought through, what we have predetermined to give. Now, this is what it's going to require. For you to get there, you're going to have to spend some, God, spend some time with God. And you're going to have to put it all on the table. And you're going to have to pray this scary prayer. God, this is it. This is what you gave me. I got this old house, this 1984 minivan, four kids, a dog, a ferret, and a turtle. I'm not sure how we got the turtle. That's what I got, God. For some of you, it would be more like this. God, you've blessed me. I have this beautiful home. I drive really nice cars. I got a beach house. I got a boat. I got a cabin in the mountains. I got stock investments. I got, I, God, you have really, really blessed me, right? But God, this is it. This is what you've given me. So God, in light of the fact that you own it all, and God, in light of the fact I, I want to be a good manager of the stuff that you've given me, you show me or you, you show us. What is it you want us to give on a regular basis? And God, we are going to follow through whether things are good or whether things are bad. You see, that's how you determine how much you're supposed to give. And maybe you didn't realize it, but when you do that, you're stepping out in faith. And what you're doing is you're, you're, you're actually inviting God into your financial world. And let's be honest, that's what you really want at the end of the day. I mean, think of it this way. 
Why do you think we want God involved in our health? You go to the doctor, and the doctor says, a couple things come up. I'm not sure you need to worry about it, but I want to run some tests. Unless I miss my guess, what's the first thing you do? You begin to pray. And you begin to send out emails. And you get on Facebook, and you tell everybody you know to pray, to pray, to pray. Why do you do that? Why do you want God involved in your health? Because you know at the end of the day, just like me, we really have no control over our health. That's kind of in God's hands. I mean, why do we pray that God will work in the lives of our teenagers so we won't kill them? We know at the end of the day, once they get their mindset on something, we really have no control of them, over them. But this is what's interesting. When it comes to our money, when it comes to our finances, for some reason, we think we're in control. Here's the problem. As a follower of Jesus Christ, God wants to be involved. God wants to be in control of every area of our lives. He wants to be involved in our health. He wants to be involved with our family. He wants to be involved with our career. He also wants to be involved in our finances. So Paul says this in in, in chapter 9, verse 7. Each person should give what he decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Why, Paul? Because God loves a cheerful giver. This word cheerful in the Greek is actually pronounced hilarious. And I think that is so appropriate because I'm going to tell you something. I have never met a negative, generous person. Have you? You will never meet a generous person who is negative and has a critical spirit. It's just something when you're generous. There's something inside about just knowing that you made a difference. There's something about being generous. There's just a joy and a satisfaction that comes with it that you can't imagine. And some of you, you know what I'm talking about, right? So Paul says, don't give this because you have to or you feel obligated. Man, when we give, there ought to be high fives and all kind of crazy stuff going on. We ought to be excited about it. And then he tells us why the law of the harvest applies to our finances. Look at verse 8. He says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, get this now, all things, all the time, having all you need, look at this, you will abound in every good work. In other words, God says, now that you're sowing, now that you're recycling your stuff for my kingdom, God says, now that we're partnering together, let me tell you what I am able to do. I am able to give you all things at any time so that you will have all you need, key word there, all you need whenever you need it. And what's ironic is this. Isn't that the reason we hold out on God to start with? I mean, isn't that the reason we're not generous to start with? It's because we have an attitude that says, God, I would love to give more. I would love to do more. God, I would love to be generous. But God, I'm just going to be honest with you. I want to have all things all the time. I want whatever I want whenever I want it. And so, God, I'm just going to be honest with you. It's about me. I can't afford to be generous. I mean, isn't that what we think we're accomplishing when we're holding out on God, when we're not being generous? God said, you can't do that. You can't guarantee in your life that you're going to have all things all the time, that you're going to have whatever you need whenever you need it. You can't do that, but I can. And since I can, you can't afford not to be generous. So Paul says, as we learn to sow generously, and as we learn to give and invest in God's work, this is what God says. God says, listen, I have ways of refilling your bucket over and over and over and over again because I am God. And if you're depending on yourself for that to happen, God says, I just want you to know, it is never going to happen. But as long as you're depending 
on me. I have a way of giving you all you need whenever you need it. Now, I don't know about you, but when it comes to my finances, I've never come across a better plan than that. So it says in verse 9, as it is written, he has scattered abroad his gift to the poor. Now, why does he say that? God's basically saying this. I've made a commitment to the poor. And the way I supply the needs of the poor is through those who have more than the poor. Okay, people, that would be us. In other words, God has some things that he wants to accomplish uh, on planet Earth. And unlike the government, you know, he doesn't just create money out of thin air, right? So God's plan is, is more simple. God says, this is my plan. It's to channel your money, your wealth, your resources to accomplish what I want to accomplish in the world. He made a commitment to the poor. He made a commitment to those in need. Uh, he made a commitment to those who need to hear about this life-changing message of his son, Jesus Christ. And the way he's going to fulfill that commitment is through us. There is no plan B. There is no other plan. So let me ask you a question. If that's God's plan, why would God encourage us to give money that we don't think we can afford to give and then leave us hanging? After all, what's his goal? His goal is to fund his work in the world. So think about this. If you were God, scary thought. All right, but let's go with it, okay? If you were God and that was your goal, whose wealth would you replenish? Would you replenish the wealth of those who are spending every penny they can get on themselves? Or would you replenish the wealth of those who are willing to say, God, everything I have is yours. And I want to get as much of my treasure, as much of my stuff as I can in circulation for your kingdom. See, that's what God's looking for. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, don't worry about this stuff. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that's what he's looking for you to develop in your life. God is looking for people who are willing to sow full hands of seed. People who are willing to be generous. People who are willing to give and give and give and give. And God, this is what he says. And when you give and give and give and give, I will replenish and replenish and replenish and replenish. Look at verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower, that's God, and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. In other words, people are going to praise God for what you do. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. In other words, God says, there's some things I want to accomplish on planet Earth. And as my followers, I'm inviting you to get involved. And for those of you that join me, not only will I meet all of your needs when they need to be met, God says, I am making you this promise. I will enrich you if you'll commit to using your treasure that I have given you anyway to partner with me for what I'm doing in the world. And I know what happens when some of you hear that, you're thinking, does this mean I'm going to get rich? Because, you know, we, a lot of the, the prosperity gospel is out there. The name it and claim it, it's, it's out there. That's not what it's talking about. As I said, by the world standard, we're already rich. We don't do this to get rich, people. We do this because we're already rich. And to whom much is given, what much is required. And so God says, if you're just partner with me because I've already made you rich, I'm going to continue to enrich you. And I hear the most creative stories of how God does this. 
I've had people walk up to me and say, you know what? I didn't even know I was getting this bonus. And I, we, just, we just stepped out on faith and we just started giving at the very first of the month and beginning to live within our means. And sometimes we didn't know how we were going to make it. And all of a sudden I got this bonus I wasn't expecting. I had a single mom come to me. She said, I just started tithing. And I knew when I looked at it on paper, I couldn't afford it. HR called me in and they said, they get, we gave you a promotion but we didn't give you enough of a raise. And she said, they gave me a check for all the back salary they owed me that I didn't even know they owed me. And it has put me in an incredible position. A couple of months ago, Laura and I decided to sell my Mustang. And whenever you sell a car, you know what you do. You jack the price up. You put it up there so you have a little bit of wiggle room, right? So I put it up there and, and a couple came to the house and they test drove it. It was a Saturday. And I came to church on Saturday afternoon to get ready for the message. Then they called me. They said, we'd like to drive it again. I said, well, I'm at church. So they came by the church. They got the keys. They drove it. And uh, after I got out of the 415 service, they were in the lobby. And they said, we want to buy your car. I said, okay, well, I guess we need to talk about the price. And they said, oh, no, we'll give you what you asked. You'll give me what? Yeah, I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give you what you asked. Well, that's not right. That's not the American way. You can't just give me what I, I can't do that. No, no, we'll give you what you asked. About that time, Joe, our security guy, came in and says, Mike, I need to see you in the parking lot. I said, why is that? He says, somebody just hit your car that you just sold. And I said, if you're joking me, I'll kill you. I'm very godly sometimes. And I could see in his face, he said, I'm not joking. Somebody had come to the church for benevolence. And, bought, and, and they backed right into my Mustang. And I went over and I said, well, do you have your insurance information? And he said, well, first, do you have 20 bucks for me? I said, yeah, I got 20 bucks. But, you know, I, said, I gave him 20 bucks. He just hit my car. I wanted to beat him down. But anyway, I gave him 20 bucks. It's the right thing to do. And, 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 and they looked at it. I'm like, well, there goes that sale. And they said, we'll still buy it, full price. Only God can do stuff like that. So here's the question. If that's what God promises, that he'll replenish and replenish and replenish when it comes to us living a life of generosity, what are we so worried about? If God says, you partner with me and I've got your back, what are we so afraid of? You know, this is what it basically comes down to. And this is what you're struggling with. This is what you have to decide. Can I really trust God? Do I believe him? Can I trust him and eventually you're just going to have to begin to live this way. You're going to have to step out on faith and begin to do it. I want you to hear the story of a couple that went through this. Watch their story on the side screens. Just as God was getting more involved in my life, just convicting me as a husband and, a, and as a father, that I needed to be, I needed to spiritually lead my family. And that included the finances. That included the money. I, I don't think we were ever bad money managers. We, um, we never were in tremendous financial binds, but I think that now we just handle it so much differently, we've been able to find money that was always there, we just didn't know it was there. And the big thing is it was just now teamwork. You know, we see God as a giving God, and you know, He gave His Son, Jesus gave His life for us. He gives us spiritual gifts, he, He's a giving God, and, and He's remaking us in His image. So He wants us to be givers too. And so we think that's a huge part of, as, as he's moving in our lives, that, that we're to be givers. Today is the day. There's no better time than now. And uh, the longer you put it off, the, the more money you're going to leak from the standpoint of, of your family finances, and the more you won't be able to steward money God's way. We've always lived by the motto that to whom much is given, much is expected. Mm -hmm. And we felt so blessed that we, we really feel like we want to give that back.
Now let me tell you something. <laughs> Laura and I disagree on a lot of things. For example, I think you ought to be able to eat butter, beans, and corn with a spoon. And Laura says, that's inappropriate. You got to eat it with a fork. I think that's crazy. <laughs> I think when you eat a bowl of soup and you got all the good stuff out and it's just the juice left, you ought to be able to pick the bowl up and drink it. Laura doesn't think that's a good idea. I think it's a good idea. I think it's reasonable to have sex at least once a day. Laura disagrees. She thinks it should be twice. That's not true, but a man can dream, can he? Right? You know what I'm saying? We disagree on a lot of things. I agree on this. We agree on this. You cannot outgive God. We just believe everything we have belongs to God. And when God says, okay, big handful of seed, we don't argue. You know, we just say, where? Where do you want us to throw it? Listen to this verse from Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, let me just say this in closing. It's not a money issue. It's not a money issue. It's a heart issue. I mean, how else can you explain people who, who live this way? It's a heart issue. In fact, I love when Paul was writing to the church at Corinth, he referred to a little church in Macedonia, and he referred to their generosity. This is what he said about them in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5. He said this, they gave themselves first to the Lord. You know what that tells me? It tells me, you show me a person who's given himself first and fully to God, I will show you a person who has developed the habit of extreme generosity. It begins in the heart. I think it was Lincoln who said, when the heart is right, the feet are swift. It begins in the heart. You give yourself first to God in any financial situation, and it's amazing what he's going to do in your life. It's just called trust, you know. And you begin to sow bountifully, and God says, I'll bless you bountifully so that you can sow more bountifully. It's not about getting a new car. And if that's what you're thinking, you're leaving with the wrong message. It's not about, oh, good, I'll, I'll, God will bless me and I can finally get the vacation home I've always wanted. And that's not what it, it's about partnering with God with what he's doing all around the world. And I got to tell you, when you develop this habit, you will finally break the power of greed in your life. And your life will change. All of a sudden, instead of being totally focused on you and building your lone little kingdom, you'll begin to focus on others. And you're going to be, begin to experience this, this sense of joy and satisfaction because you're going to realize it truly, truly is more blessed to give than receive. And not only that, you'll be like God. What did John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world, he bought a boat. He bought a beach house. God so loved the world, he went and got the latest and coolest new automobile. Mm -mm. He gave and he gave and he gave and he gave. And then Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1, just follow his example. Follow his example. Let's pray together. I know that whenever I talk about money, blood pressure goes up and People, you've already sent me emails. I've seen you on your phones, and uh, that's okay. But you know what? It, I, I, it, I want you to have a great marriage. I want you to have great relationships. 
I want you to know the power of forgiveness in your life. I want you to understand grace, that when you do something God doesn't care, he has more than enough grace to overcome anything you could possibly do. I want those things for you because those are the things that will turn you into his child and that will bring incredible healing in your life. I want you to serve. Because God said, when you serve, you're going to get the focus off yourself and you're going to begin to experience the life that I designed for you. And I want you to be a person of generosity. Because we live in a culture that is just overrun by greed. More, more, bigger and bigger. And we've totally lost the discipline of saying, when is enough enough? When has God blessed me to the point where I don't need anything else? He must be blessing me for some other reason. What is God doing? Where does he want me to sow this seed? And how much does he want me to sow? And I'm telling you, I'm, I know people that live that way. And they live life at a whole different level. That's what I want for you. And I, would be, I, would be, I wouldn't be diligent as your pastor if I didn't train you in this area also of experience God's best, even when it comes to your financial world. So Father, we, we just turn this over to you now. What's said is said. Paul so clearly laid it out. There's not a lot to be added to it. When we develop this habit of generosity where we sow generously and we're sowing and we're helping you, partnering with you, fulfilling your commitment, your plan in this world, you say, I'll enrich you, I'll replenish you. Because I can trust you. Because now you don't see yourself as a reservoir. Now you see yourself as a canal. You see yourself as a channel of my resources. And the joy that comes with that just defies human logic. Help us to get there, Father. And for those right now, right now who've never gotten to that place, I, I would pray, Father, you would just work in their heart and convict them. And, and all the fear and all the questions that they're throwing up right now, Father, just... Allow them to trust you, to trust you. Either, you tr either we trust you and you do what you say, Father, or you're a liar, <laughs> and we know you're not. So we trust you. In your blessed holy name we pray, amen.